Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and I'm excited to introduce my special guest to you today. But before I do so, I want to say thank you and shout out to our patron supporters. Thanks so much for your support. Uh, because of your support, I get to produce uh, free videos and stuff like this, and so I really appreciate it. Uh, you too can become a uh, patron. Uh, a Patreon supporter by following the Patreon link in the description below and just going on over to our Patreon website and becoming a monthly uh, subscriber over there. And with your subscription comes the bonus segment that I only put over there on Patreon for our, our Patreon supporters. And also, Patreon has this new uh, feature over there where you can sign up for merch. And so I've got some different merch created, t-shirts, coffee mugs, stuff like that, that uh, you get with your subscription your uh, monthly subscription so you can go over there and check out all that stuff there's all all kinds of bonus material and stuff over there you kind of get the idea here so i'm gonna move on now and uh, we're gonna bring in uh, my guest today is eric hernandez eric how are you doing today sir i am doing good thank you for having me on yeah Pleasure really, to be with uh, you. yeah it's good to have you back actually so we've had eric on before and so i'm excited to have him back how have you been have you been since the last time we talked i haven't seen you in a while yeah i know i've been good um you know uh, uh, accommodating like everybody else kind of uh, um, as we go through this pandemic that's going on but you know some interesting things have come out of that and as you can see I've got a little bit of a new setup that I'm still messing around and playing with uh, finally got a desk kind of made a, a, a little office in my house so um, it's going good though accommodating and, and getting some new stuff little by little yeah yeah it's definitely a interesting time to to be alive kind of we're learning a lot we're figuring out how to adapt to new situations and I don't know what the new normal is going to be it may not be a normal anymore but uh, it's going to be interesting uh, so uh, you, you've been up to quite a bit one of the more recent things that you've been up to is uh, your debate with the uh, Skylar Fiction and so I definitely I watched that and your review I must say your your review of that debate has got to be the funniest video response that I've ever seen in my life but before we get to that tell me kind of how did you feel about the debate did it go well or kind of what were your general thoughts about the debate um it, it was it was interesting i'll say that uh um I, I i liked it as as far as you know i i i enjoyed it um have in, in preparation for that i kind of got a feel for skyler's uh, characteristic so in fact if you go back and listen to the debate <coughs> um and i'm glad glad you asked because uh when when we start off you know, we're doing opening statements, which uh, uh, the moderator clearly mentioned we're doing opening statements. And as you know, an opening statement is you're going to present a positive case for your position. Now, I know Skyler would call himself an agnostic, and <clears throat> I know he's, he the way he defines atheism, I understand that. Um, and, and I have no personal issue with that. But, you know, that's why when I put out my opening statement, I said this is what I mean by atheism and whatnot, right? Um now, the, the, the title of the debate was uh, something to the effect of, are there any good reasons for or against theism? And the reason is because knowing he's an agnostic, he, he could potentially have a lot to add to the conversation because he could say something like, well, no, I don't think there are any good arguments for theism because of X, Y, and Z. And I also don't think there are any good arguments for the atheism in the way you define it or any arguments for against theism theism position and he can add to the conversation that way and we could we could have had a good conversation and dialogue well he doesn't give an opening when he starts he just starts immediately going to rebuttal which was which was legitimately i was kind of confused i, I thought he was going to give an opening so I, I i did interrupt admittedly and i said hey just just to clarify are you giving an opening are you 
and and immediately it's like that uh, from then on it's kind of I don't want to say it went downhill because I don't think it went downhill but it went it went from zero to sixty I'll put it that way and uh, and then and then as soon as he started uh, you know with some remarks you could hear me say wow you're already starting um, so I wasn't saying I'm not going to say I wasn't expecting that but I wasn't expecting that that soon so yeah yeah it definitely like you said went from zero to sixty uh, pretty quick. Uh, like you said, you did kind of cut in with that, but it was kind of understandable. And uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised. Too. I mean, it was the first thing I noticed was uh, as soon as he started talking, I was like, well, this isn't an opening statement at all. Um, not answering the question at all. Like that was the biggest thing for me. It was like, you're not answering the question at all. You're going straight to tearing down Eric's argument, which is what, which is part of the debate, but it's it's in a different it's at a different section in the debate. First, you need to give your your positive argument here, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't have even minded if he would have said something like, you know, well, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware we're going to give opening, so I didn't prepare one. Uh, but you know, I'm just going to go ahead and just, just keep on with this flow. And I say, okay, you know, fair enough, you're, but I thought you're going to give an opening, but that that's fine. You know, then we could have just kept going. He, he made a pretty big deal about it. It seemed. And, you know, like, like I said, you, you know, people can go back and watch it and, yeah. It went. That's where it went from zero to sixty pretty quickly with yeah, uh, insults so, and stuff. Let's see how I want to put this. So at at one point, actually multiple points, he mentions the male sexual reproduction organs. How do you deal with somebody um, who's responding like that, who's saying things like this, and you're like, I'm, in a, you know, I gotta know, I gotta think what's going through your head is, I came here for. Uh, hopefully a mutually beneficial intellectual dialogue and debate and uh, this is what I'm getting in response how, I mean how do you even deal with that because I think my response would just be to sh either shut down and just be like this is a joke I have no rebuttal um, or to get angry or something so uh, how do you deal with it uh, yeah um, so so good question yeah so I mean and of course this would apply to just how do you deal with any kind of uh, personalities like that? <clears throat> um, I, I will first say a debate's not for everybody. It's uh, I've never set up my own debate. I've never asked to debate anybody. Anytime I've ever debated or anything like that, it's been uh, by request of somebody else, a third party setting this up. Um, <clears throat> so I don't, I don't first, I'd say I don't go looking for debates and debates aren't for everyone. Uh, second, um, Sometimes that comes with the territory, especially kind of when, you know, especially if you're going to read YouTube comments. Um, now, I will say I have an advantage in the sense that uh, I do have a what's technically a mental disorder, ADHD. And uh, part of that, it it for whatever reason, I you know, uh, it it tends to be easier for me to separate emotion from logic when it comes to these kind of things to where. I mean, it's it's really really hard to upset me, especially in a debate, because th so within ADHD there's something called hyperfocus, <clears throat> which is almost counterintuitive, where um, it you know your your brain is lacking certain stimulation, so you're constantly looking for stimulation, or when you get stimulation from something, your attention goes to that because it's almost like oh look that's where I'm getting stimulation from, uh, but when it comes to for me at least uh, people with ADHD. They can play video games for hours on end. I've played Call of Duty once for like 12 hours straight, 15 hours straight. Um, and it's because when you when you find something that just captivates your attention and stimulates you, 
it's it, it's almost like you lock onto that, and it's hard to get distracted from that because usually with ADHD, the reason people get distracted, you know, like you know, kind of squirrel kind of a thing, is because they're lacking stimulation, and whatever whatever stimulates them, they want to focus the attention there, and then that stimulation only lasts for so long, so they keep looking for stimulation. When it comes to something like this, for me, this is very mentally stimulating. So it's it's the opposite effect happens where I lock on, and it's hard for me to kind of get. Uh, quote thrown off and I'm not I'm not bragging on myself if anything I'm just telling you how the the disorder works the mental disorder works so when with with those kind of things so I'm in a it's more linear thinking for me so when someone brings up something like that it doesn't get me upset I start laughing because I try I'm like well how does that apply to the argument I just gave it doesn't and it just makes me laugh you know does it upset me and and again just being on almost like a one-track kind of linear thinking um, then my next thought is why would you bring up something like that and then call him out like I did? You know, I, I after he went to that extreme, I said, um, I said, you know, I appreciate you doing that because that shows when people do something like that in a debate and start like slinging mud, that shows everyone else that they have no response to the argument and they have nothing more to say. I said, so I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're exactly right about the part about if you have to resort to ad hominems or vulgarity or something like that um it, it it's almost it's almost like it's less it's less about the morals of it it's more about just you clearly don't have any response or you wouldn't be resorting to this kind of tactic and it also shows that um so i want to debate or i want to dialogue at least i've never gone looking for a debate like you said either or anything like that uh, people have asked me to debate and i've turned it down before <clears throat> Or they'll, or they'll ask me to have a conversation, and I go and look at their stuff, and it's, what they mean by conversation is uh, a debate and not a very good one. And so I've turned them down before, but uh, um, I, I want to engage in these sort of things because um, one of two things. I believe I have the truth right now, and so I want to share that with other people. I want to convince them. Um, and secondly, if I'm wrong, I want to find out. But just... Sticking with the first one there, I think I have the truth and I want to share it with other people and convince them, which is the same thing other people want to do with me that disagree with me. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, if you're, if that's your aim, then you're clearly not going to insult the person that you're talking to because it's counterintuitive or it's counterproductive. Uh, if I'm trying to convince you that your position is wrong and you should adopt my position because I'm right, insulting you is not going to motivate you to open your mind and and consider my position and so that's kind of just a psychological point is it there's that's why it's irrational to do it because you're saying you're in a debate and the the objective should be to convince the the person that you're debating as well as the audience that you're correct and uh doing that's not going to convince them so yeah it, at, at, you're absolutely right and in, in, in fact it's it's to get technical it's a non sequitur uh yeah. there, there's times um where i've often agreed with what they're saying <laughs> You know, where, where people might say, you know, like one time someone says something like, well, you know, you're you're short and and, you know, it looks like you work out. So you probably did that because, you know, you had this insecurity complex and you dress nice and wear suits, which I get from the thrift store, by the way, um, in a debate once <clears throat> I actually had during Q&A is one of my first debates at a church. Some guy, an atheist came up and read a few verses from the Bible about trusting in God and not money and something like that. And storing up your treasures in heaven. And then he said all that to say, and yet you're telling us to trust God when you're wearing a very nice suit that I probably couldn't afford. And he starts going on <clears throat> as if he's trying to make, 
you know, this point about, I guess, money or, or, or nice things. And a few people in the audience were laughing because people who were there knew me and knew where I get my suits from. And so I let him finish his question. And I said, well, first thing I'd say is I appreciate the compliment about the suit, but it only cost me $15 at a thrift store a few miles <laughs> away. I could take you there if you'd like. Um, I'll buy you one <clears> if you want it. Yeah. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, to what you're saying, it, it's, it's a non sequitur. So uh, when, when people go to that kind of a thing, it's, it's best to, you know, like, like you're saying, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for the argument. <clears throat> and if you want to, you can even go as far as to say, well, hey, you might be right here. But going back to what I was saying, you know, uh, or, or, you know, yeah, you know, that that maybe you're right. Maybe I did, you know, start dressing nicer because I was insecure about myself. You're probably right. So back mm -hmm. to my argument, you know, and you, yeah, you bring it back when, to the topic. Yeah, that's what I would do. And uh, people will call me biased. I'll say, yeah, OK, I probably am. But that doesn't make my belief true or false. So I don't know why we're bringing that up. Uh, to slam R in in the live chat, I, these are new ear pods. They were also cheap. The other ones had blinking lights on them. Literally had a comment saying they weren't, weren't going to watch because of the blinking lights on my ear pods. So I got new ones. Uh, let's see. I got distracted. Sorry, that's that ADHD. That's that squirrel complex. I have that too. Uh, so... You mentioned a second ago, debates aren't for everyone. We are going to get to the arguments for the soul, by the way. Sorry, but I do want to ask this question. <clears throat> you said earlier that debates aren't for everyone, and we're fixing to find out if debates are for me or not, because I have one scheduled for July with a godless engineer on Jesus mythicism. Uh, what advice do you give for debates in, in general, not just dealing with uh, non sequiturs and ad hominem attacks, but just what advice do you give for debate? Uh, yeah, um... So I, I'd first say don't debate something that you're not comfortable and very familiar with. You know, um, debate something that if you had to right now drop what you're – if someone said, you know, hey, could you debate this topic right now in five minutes? Um, now, I'm not saying, you know, you're going to say yes because you don't want it. You want to prepare. But in other words, if you hypothetically could say, yeah, I could debate this, you know, in five minutes, let's do it. Um, something, in other words, something that you're familiar enough to do something like that. Now, obviously, you don't want to do that, you know, uh, but the point is something that you're already familiar with so that in your preparation process, you're not necessarily trying to learn new stuff. There's nothing wrong with learning new stuff, but the preparation should be more so – uh, of learning your opponent's arguments, learning your opponent's tactics, his demeanor, um, because a person <clears throat> is uh, – people are you know creatures of habit, as they say. And whenever people uh, uh, get a certain way, it's, it's usually always because of a sim similar uh, type of stimulating – thing that's happening or triggering – and I don't mean that in like the political triggered sense, but like uh, – for example, if someone starts getting more hostile, you can usually look back and look at every time someone's getting hostile and you say, oh, they're, they're, this person tends to get hostile when this topic is brought up or when they're called out in this way or when they think they're looking bad in debate. Um, oh, and this person tends to laugh at the other person's argument, and in that person's mind, they think laughing at your argument is a sign of strength. So – a <clears throat> uh, little fun fact here. When I debated David Smalley, I noticed he did that a lot. I noticed that one of his tactics was something like you give an argument, and a, a well-articulated argument because he's had some really good people on his show, and they've given well-thought-out arguments. And his response is literally something like, oh, my gosh, you can't be serious. 
and the Christian just gets kind of flustered and like, oh, well, well, and then they try to repeat the argument again. Well, wait a minute, saying you can't be serious isn't a response, right? So, um, so with that in mind, it, it was kind of things I was already kind of prepared for to look out for. So, <clears throat> if you go back and watch that debate, uh, it's, it's on my channel. I think one of the first times he did something like I, I gave an argument against why I think atheism can't be true. And his response was something like, oh, you can't be serious. Oh, my gosh, that's ridiculous. And I said, I know. That's why I'm not an atheist. And, you know, of course, he's <laughs> then it totally took the wind out of his sails. And he laughed. He's like, no, no, that, well, that's not what I meant. And he starts laughing. And I'm laughing, too. But at that, it took all the wind out of that out of that uh, tactic, so to speak. And it kind of took away one of those. So in other words, you kind of pull back the onion layers with that person. And, and you can kind of just see if that's all you, or, or he would, in another instance, again, and this is just also applies to the question of raw and preparing in debate is, you know, you want to prepare for and listen to, put it this way, train your mind to learn how to listen for arguments as opposed to mere assertions, claims, or statements. A statement is not an argument. An assertion is not an argument. Uh, uh, I disagree is not a rebuttal. So, for example, again, I, I gave an argument um, with David Smalley. I, I gave this argument, and then he said, well, uh, you know, well, I, I just disagree. And I said, well, yeah, I know. That's why I'm on your show. <laughs> like, of course yeah. you disagree. Uh, and he said, well, well, that's, that's just false. I said, okay, or no, he said something like, well, you're just wrong. I said, okay, show me where, please. Yeah. And you know there was silence, and he's like, well, well, I mean, I just it, it just doesn't add up. I said, no, I understand, but but go on, you know, like like continue, um, because you know usually people when they get away with stuff like that in the past, it's usually because they have Christians who are quick to respond. Take your time, um, understand mm -hmm. what the other person's tactics are, listen to what they're saying, make sure you understand their position enough to where you can articulate it back to them. And that way, even if they're not tracking with you, like Skyler wasn't in, in our debate, you can at least try to see where they're going or you can see where they might be missing what you're saying. And, and I don't mean this in a derogatory, condescending sense, but you can try to help them track what you're saying or maybe find out where you lost them so you can attempt to actually have a good productive conversation. Now, if they keep just going to insults, well, there's nothing you can really do about that, but yeah. yeah. Now those are those are all really good points. I think the first one might be the most important because if you really grasp, if you really grasp how important the first one is, which was to really know what you're talking about, uh, you'll you'll be slow to enter into a debate in the first place. Because I see a lot of people on both sides enter into debates, and they clearly didn't do their research, and uh, they get hit with a rebuttal that they have no idea how to respond to, and. Uh, you know, it's just not necessary to go into a debate if you don't if you if you don't know everything. I mean, you can't know everything, but I mean, if you don't know comprehensively enough that you can respond to something. So with this debate that I've agreed to, I only agree to it because um, I've I've read all the I guess I won't say all, but I've read basically all the Jesus mythicist literature out there from Carrier to and everybody else, uh, Price, um, and even before but and I probably don't know everything about Jesus mythicism but I feel like I've read their books I've gone through it systematically I know exactly what I would say to any of those points that they would make um, and that's not to brag that's just to say there's a lot of things that I would not enter into a debate on it just so happened that somebody asked me to do this one and uh, 
I happen to know quite a bit about this subject because I find it absolutely fast. It's absolutely fascinating to me. Um, and so I look forward to it, but we'll see how it goes. I may make a fool of myself. And that's another thing is don't feel like all of Christendom. I'm not going to feel bad if I do, by the way, because I don't walk around thinking all of Christendom rests on Hayden Clark's shoulders. And if he says something stupid or looks like a fool, Christianity is just going to fall apart. It's been, it's a cathedral that's been standing for 2000 years. It's not coming down that easy. So don't don't put too much pressure on yourself out there, people. But let let's get to, we could talk about we should have done a whole episode on on debates and stuff like that. Yeah, um, that would be good. I'll, I'll just say I don't think you're you're gonna make a fool of yourself, Toppy, but that's fine. All right, and we are back. Sorry, folks in the live chat, uh, the stream got interrupted for some reason, and that's happened a couple of times. I'll look into why that, I'm right next to the router. I don't know why that happens. But anyway, let's get into the uh, the soul, which was the topic of this. Uh, interview today even though we've been talking about uh debates and different things but uh can, there's a there's a lawnmower right outside here can you hear it eric uh eric well i think sorry, I, was I was yeah sorry you are. no i had it on mute yeah i can hear that it's probably one of my relatives out there so sorry about that. oh <laughs> can you really hear it yeah i can hear it but i mean i have these headphones right now i, I did cut grass for for the longest time uh i've cut grass for gosh since i was like 12 or 13 um only stopped you know when i got this full-time job but you know sorry i don't know what he's doing so me. close to my window because he's supposed to be way over there but anyway uh, so what is your best argument for the existence of the soul sorry i feel like very unprofessional right now so i'm a bit flustered with myself but uh, anyway so let's move into the existence of the soul what is the art let's just say what's the argument that you gave skylar or if you have a better one that you want to come uh, that you want to use here but what's your argument for the existence of the soul um, well, I, I don't know if I'd say I'd have, quote, one argument that is maybe uh, that, quote, the best. I honestly think they're all equally powerful uh, just because they're – I think they're so commonsensical. Um, but um, I, I, I guess the one that I use a lot because it's you know, kind of easier to use, um, <clears throat> yeah that won't take a lot of unpacking. Like if I just have a few minutes with someone, it's one or one or two, it's either just talking about consciousness, um, showing that consciousness isn't physical and, or showing that you are more than a brain and body, uh, via something like, uh, the indivisibility of personhood. Um, so, uh, let's start with the indivisibility of personhood. Um, I could say something like, if I'm talking with someone, I'll ask uh, in an informal way, you know, with, without the syllogism, <clears throat> I, I would say something like, well, I'm either just a brain and body or I am more than that, like a, like a soul. And I ask the person, if you chop off my arms and legs, am I still a human being? They say, yes. Okay. I said, well, um, so I'm not 50% of a human being. No. Okay. So it would make sense to say that I have 50% of a body. But it wouldn't make sense to say that I'm 50% of a person. It follows then that if I'm just a brain and body, then technically I would – when I lose 50% of my body, I would be 50% of a person. But if I'm not, then it means I'm more than a brain and body. I'm something like a soul. And that's really informal. Of course, I can, we can get into like the syllogism of the argument and the more technicality of it. But I think just something as simple as that at least you know gets your foot in the door to where people start thinking in those terms and in that way mm -hmm. that if I'm not – identical or reducible to, if i am i put it this way if i am identical or reducible to my body then these things would follow but we know these things don't follow therefore i can't be reducible or identical to just a brain and body i must be something more than that and, and like i said with the consciousness thing just you know just showing consciousness isn't physical 
I think, again, is just one of those powerful arguments that really shows that something like naturalism or physicalism just can't be true. And, right. you know, I'll let you go wherever you want with yeah, that. Yeah, sure. If so it's kind of like a reductio argument. So if you think this, then here's what follows. We know this isn't true. And you may actually have reasons that it isn't true also, but uh, this something false would follow. Um, well, one thing that I was th just thinking, I'm just trying to, I'm not objecting, I'm just trying to be a good questioner here, is um, if you lose an arm, you're, probably, you're, st you're obviously still a human. Um, if you lose half your body, you're still a human. If you lose half your brain, you're still a human. But if you lost your whole brain, would you still be a human? Well, that that would that would get deeper at the heart of the question there, um, because as you can tell, and, and the, the reason I answered the way I did, and I'm glad that you asked the question, is because sure I could just jump right in and start you know using the metaphysical you know big words, but I find usually people already have some preconceived notions about a soul, so I kind of like to just throw something out there and then let them push back wherever they want, and then I'll just go to whatever it is that they're asking, like as you just did. So if I lose my brain. Uh, am I still a human person? Well, that would depend. Am I just my brain? And I might, you know, throw it back at that person and say, well, if I'm just my brain and I lose my brain, then then I wouldn't exist. So, you know, so the question really is, am I reducible to just a brain? Um, and then I could even go a little further and say, now, let's go with that train of thought. Let's say uh, I am just my brain. Well, you already said, let's say we're, you know, doing a little role play. You already just said that if I lose half my brain, I'm not half a person. So then I guess it follows in even on what you, based on what you said, I'm not reducible or identical to merely a brain. So it would seem then that if I lose my brain, well, then maybe I am still a human person because if I'm not reducible or identical to my brain, that means I'm something more than that, and that would be something like a soul. Uh, interestingly, there's a there's a modal argument. Um, I don't I don't use it in debate. Um, I'm not against the argument. I think it's it's an interesting one, uh, but it's usually more. It, it usually appeals better to people who understand the philosophy behind like a, a modal logic and stuff like that. But it, it touches on what you're saying. <clears throat> if to, to explain one of the most central things uh, about the soul, knowing about how to argue and think about the soul, is Leibniz's law of identity, um, which basically says if two things in question are identical, then whatever's true of one is going to be true of the other. So if A is the same thing as B. You know, they're going to – whatever show one's true of the other because we're just using two names to talk about the same thing. So water and H2O, well, they're going to have the same properties because it's the same substance. Okay, so that being said, um, if there's at least one thing true of one and not the other, then it follows they can't be the same thing. The illustration I usually give is say there's two bottles of clear fluid. One is labeled chemical X. The other is labeled water. They're both clear fluids, and I think, oh, they're, they're the same substance. I turn over chemical X, and it says constant flammable. And I think, ah, okay, well, I know that water's not flammable. Therefore, even if I don't know what chemical X is, at the very least, I know they can't be the same thing. So just finding one difference between these two things in question automatically demonstrate they're not the same thing, which in philosophy we call identical. Now, <clears throat> with that in here's the modal, ar the modal uh, argument uh, for the soul. It's at least conceivable that I am I can I can be disembodied. Not even conceivable for my body to be disembodied. Doesn't even make sense. So it follows in that there is something true of me that is not true of my body, and therefore I am not identical or reducible to my body. Therefore I'm something more, namely something like a soul. So again, that that's more of a philosophical argument 
that was going to appeal better to someone who understands things like the notion of conceivability and motor logic and stuff like that. But yeah, based on what you asked, I think that argument would definitely apply there. Yeah. Um, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll just be honest. I don't think it actually is conceivable. I, I, I honestly can't conceive of myself being disembodied. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but yeah, I can't conceive of that. And, and the reason is, and I'm, I'm actually not against uh, an immaterial soul or an immaterial mind, in, intellect, however you want to word that. Uh, I'm perfectly content with that. I'm not against anything, but I'm saying I'm, I might actually be convinced that our mental processes are immaterial or something like that, or we do have an immaterial mind or something like that. Uh, but I can't conceive of myself as disembodied. And the reason that I can't at least, and uh, perhaps you'll persuade me, I'm perfectly fine being persuaded, but the reason I can't at least is because there's an, there's an axiom within the Aristotelian thought, within the Thomistic thought that I'm pretty much convinced of. Of course, I'm happy to change it, and, uh, which is there is nothing in the intellect that wasn't first in the senses. And so to illustrate this, what I mean by this, I mean all, all of the knowledge that we have comes to us mediated through our senses, through our sensation. So imagine, and I mean this dead seriously, so I hope nobody thinks I'm joking, but uh, I think of uh, Helen Keller, right? She was, she was deaf and blind, right? But she could still learn from her teacher because she had the sense she could, she could feel and her teacher would take her hands and teach her things like that. Uh, but imagine if she couldn't even do that. Imagine somebody with no senses. They would, they would never know anything. They wouldn't even know that they existed if they didn't, if they couldn't feel with like literally with their hands or their body, they couldn't feel, if they couldn't see, if they couldn't hear, if they couldn't smell. I don't see how they would ever know anything, let alone even their own existence. They, they wouldn't even know that they existed. And so to me, sensation is essential. And so I'm going back to Descartes and saying he was, that was wrong to do. You can't separate the two. Or, which really goes back to Plato, perhaps with substance dualism. So I guess I'm denying substance dualism um, and saying I don't see how the, I think sensation is an essential property of human beings. And uh, that there isn't another way of putting it that uh, someone in the Thomistic tradition, would, a way they would put it is to say uh, the mind doesn't know anything. The human person does. And the human person has two powers, which is the intellect and sensation. And those are both essential to the human being. So I, I don't know that. And I think it follows from that. I think is where I'm saying I actually can't conceive of a disembodied mind. I don't. I think it. Uh, but that's that follows from the premises I just laid out. I think. But uh, what do, what do you think about that kind of an idea? Yeah. So this is, so this just got really fun. Uh, um, so at first I thought you were joking playing the devil's advocate until you mentioned Thomism, and I thought, oh, he's one of those guys. Um, uh, you know that that's. <laughs> What you're describing is like a hylomorphism, which uh, yeah. which I I, w I will say that is still a form of substance dualism. It, it really is, and I know some people deny that, and you know they're welcome to be wrong and whatnot. But uh, it's you know dualism is is simply the idea because this brings up a lot of great points to, to, that we can mm -hmm. talk about. <clears throat> so dualism is is at its core the idea that there is that there is how can I word this that the human person that when we talk about a human person here on Earth then we, we can say we're talking about two things that are drastically different at play. There's something physical like a body and something immaterial like a soul. 
Now, the hylomorphic position is basically going to say that they're inseparable, and I say that's fine, but you still have two distinct entities there. Just like think of a triangle. You have three points and three sides. Now, sides are not the same thing as points, and the points or the angles are not the same thing as the sides, but, but regardless of the fact that they're distinct, they're still inseparable. You, you can't separate them and still have the triangle. So nevertheless, we're still talking about two things. So even on the position that, that you're espousing, I'd say it's still a form of substance dualism. Um, <clears throat> now, I, one thing I was going to ask you is why would it be inconceivable? And, and, and before I get your thoughts on that, um, <clears throat> when it, the, the modal argument that I gave there was not necessarily is it metaphysically possible, which is what I think you're getting at. And yeah, if what you're saying is true, then yes, it would be metaphysically impossible. But there's a difference between conceiving of something as opposed to something being metaphysically actualizable. So I could conceive of something like, okay, so for example, I think, and, and every time we talk about the soul, can of worms open up all the time because there's so, so many places to go to. But <clears throat> I think it is metaphysically impossible for something like uh, – uh, you ever seen the, the movie Freaky Friday? You know, to switch bodies with someone oh, else. Yeah, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that's metaphysically possible based on how the soul and body are, are deeply and intimately integrated. But I can conceive of it. I, I, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've seen the movie. You know, when I saw yeah. the movie, I wasn't like, wait a minute. I don't know what's going on because it's not conceivable. Um, I, I hold to an A theory of time. I'm not a B theorist. Uh, I don't hold to the B theory of time, but I love the movie Terminator. You know, so I can still conceive of things that I find to be metaphysically impossible. So mm -hmm. going back to the argument, I, I would argue that I think you can conceive of it. You just you would just disagree with it, and you would also go on to argue, based on the premises you just gave, whether they're true or not, if what you're saying is true, then it would show that it's metaphysically impossible. Nevertheless, I think the point would remain that it would still be in some sense conceivable because although – because the argument is simply showing that they're not reducible to one another, not necessarily that – it's not an argument for disembodiment. It's just an argument that, hey, there's something at least in principle possibly true, which is like the lowest level, the lowest bar – to achieve is possibility. So like when atheists say, was it possible that, you know, aliens could have taken Jesus's body? I'm like, well, yeah, it's possible, but that's like the, the lowest, the, you know, the lowest bar to, to reach is possibilities. Those are a dime a dozen. So, uh, but nevertheless, if you've got something that's at least possibly true of something, that's not possibly true of something else, then the argument simply shows that they're not reducible or identical to one another. Yeah. So what is uh, something that is possible uh, for the mind to do or the soul to do that is not possible for the body or the brain, you know, whichever way you were thinking of going with that would kind of would be something that it does. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'm glad, glad you brought that up too. Cause a, a few more things I, cause I didn't pick up my notepad. So after I'm like, Oh, this is going to be fun. You know what? Some of the things you're mentioning. So uh, given, given the, you know, your, the background where it's more, uh, you know, the, uh, that Thomistic school of thought, and even what what you mentioned regarding Descartes, I would I would reject a Cartesian dualism, um, and I, I would hold to what something like Merlin holds to, which is he calls it a Thomistic like dualism. So it's not holomorphism, but it's also not Cartesian dualism. He calls himself a peeping Thomist, um, and uh, uh, Did with you say his a peeping Thomist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Merlin for you. <laughs> um, uh, so. That being said, um, whether or not you 
the body's needed for senses. I, I don't think so. I'm fine if that is the case, but we have to understand that human beings, the, the relationship between being a person and being human is a type of a genus species relation. And I'm, I'm talking in, in philosophical metaphysical terms here. Um, the genus is like the umbrella. The, the species is a way in which the genus can exist. So, uh, so when it comes to being persons, and human beings, we are person dash humans. So the person is the genus, whereas being human is a species. Why is that relevant? Well, because God is also a person, right? He's three persons. So you have uh, uh, you have God being a person, but He is a divine person. Uh, we are human. We are persons, but we're human persons. And you could say, and then angels, I would say, would be persons, but they're angelic persons. Now, given that we fall in that category of personhood. To go maybe even just to go back to the conceivability aspect, it's 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 conceivable to me that angels and God being persons experience sensations without ever having bodies. So, um, but but setting that aside again, you know, I I don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. Um, but you also get into things like um, <clears throat> a priori and a posteriori knowledge, uh, because you're saying all knowledge is going to be derived from the senses, and, and and what I'm about to say can still be accommodated with what, what, what you're saying, and again, I have no problem with it, but you know, there are some things that we can come to know about without any type of, basically in an a priori way, without having to go investigate it or touch it or have any kind of senses. Uh, another, just a, a point to, to touch on back to what you were saying, is you're talking about Helen Keller and her you know, touching things. What's interesting about, about the body is that uh, – Ontologically speaking, I'd say first the soul is prior to the body. So when when I say the word mind, and when I say you hear say the word mind, to me that you're just talking about a faculty of the soul. So the soul is a substance, and the mind is a capacity of the soul. Mm -hmm. um, now, being that these things come first, I think we can even see that when we even try to describe physical properties. <clears throat> For example, when you when you talk about hardness, the property of being hard. At some point, you're gonna when you keep peeling back the onion layers of what it means to be hard, you're gonna hit bedrock, and that bedrock is gonna be a mental experience. So hardness is technically just a description of what you are mentally experiencing. So mm -hmm. you can't even describe anything physical without appealing to the mind. And yet I would say that that you could perfectly just you could for the most part perfectly describe the mind without necessarily appealing to anything physical. So um, now, now in terms of how we gain knowledge, which is what you're saying, which one comes first, you know, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I, I don't think it's, we necessarily would need a body, but I'm, but don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. I'm not going to like a Cartesian Gnostic view where I'm saying that we don't need the body. I think, I think the most natural state of the soul is to be embodied. So I, I think we were made to be embodied. Um, and that uh, while in the body here, it, yeah, that, that's that's how we were created, and that's how we do experience the world around us and whatnot. Um, now, your question was, name something the mind can do that the body can't or something like that. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So, actually, real quickly, since we uh, it took so long to get to what I actually asked, Eric. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I did, yeah. Yeah, so we're having I think fun. that uh, actually there's a, at least the Thomists that I'm familiar with would say that the uh, – the, and they do believe that uh, the mind or the soul – can be disembodied 
Um, I think they're special pleading. I think their premises should lead them to say, no, it can't. Um, but I'm young in, and definitely young in this school of thought. And uh, I think they're really just trying to make it fit with what they think the Bible says. And uh, I don't think the Bible necessarily teaches that, but I could be wrong. Anyway, so I don't, I don't think that actually follows from their premises. Uh, the Blackwell Companion to Substance Dualism. Nice. Yeah. It's up in the air for me. I'm, not, I'm, I'm fine with it. it um, there's a lot of things that don't make sense to me about Substance Dualism. Uh, the, the one I mentioned up front being one of the biggest ones. Um, that I just, you know, because it's the, the essential break, you're essentially, you're saying that they're what you essentially are. I don't know. Do you agree with Descartes that you are essentially a thinking thing that you, you just are a soul. You are your uh, immaterial mind. Yeah. So, so, um, I'm not fully on board with what Descartes saying, although I, uh, so, so in Descartes mind, there was like not much of a deep connection between the body and soul. Um, for something like uh, the position Moreland would hold, uh, it, it's more deeply integrated. So for Descartes, the soul was pretty much just the mind. I mean, that's when you when you say soul, you're you're it's pretty much talking about the mind. Uh, when I say soul, I'm talking about something much richer and deeper than just the mind. Now, sure, the mind plays a very big role in it, but metaphysically, technically speaking, I am not just a mind. Um, I am a soul, uh, which is a self. That and part of that soul has a capacity of consciousness, and my soul does quote more than just have a mind. <clears throat> so, for example, um, I so so to answer your question, yes, I would reject Descartes' version of that type of substance dualism, um, especially when you get into the relationship that the soul plays to the body. I hold to the traducian view of the soul, which again can can get really really technical but but it's it's pretty close to the hylomorphic position in some sense but basically it is that uh the the body here's how Borland puts it the body is an outward realization of an internal structure so my body is in some sense a reflection of the capacities of my soul so it's actually my soul that drives the information of my dna because dna is just some some would argue that dna is not even something physical it's information and it's actually the soul that drives the formation of the body that that gets really technical that i'd probably have to go brushing up on that aspect of it because I don't talk about it too much, um, sure. just because it doesn't doesn't come up in you know in your casual conversation of the soul. But basically, you have the soul that's driving the formation of the body. So, uh, so when people ask me <clears throat> to to give some application here, people ask me when does the soul enter the body? For me, that's an incoherent question because, on my view, a body cannot exist unless there is first a soul. Even if the two come into existence simultaneously, the soul is ontologically prior to the body even if not temporally. So it's the soul that – the reason the body exists is because the soul had to have been there, at least ontologically speaking, in the first place. So you, it makes no sense to say when does the body enter the – when does the soul enter the body because there can like be no body without a soul. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me it's just I, – I, it's okay. So it sounds like you don't want to go uh, – you see Descartes as having a huge gap between body and soul. Um, I've, I haven't reduced them. But I have made them uh, essential to the human person, that a human person is essentially uh, a rational soul and also a body. I don't think you could – I honestly don't think you can have a human person without a body or without sensation. Um, and you're 
sounding somewhere between. I don't know where, but yes, somewhere well, between. Yeah, I don't. I mean, can you have a person without sensation? So, I, I mean, I, I guess I'd want to say, in a technical sense, I would say you can. Uh, um, and and here's why: because because then we get into the question of what is a person. And then we can get into the question of of defining the nature of personhood. And then we get into what's called the ultimate capacities and a hierarchy of capacities and first order, second order capacities, which gets again technical really fast. But you know, I'm I'm here all night if you want. Um, but basically, so so take. I, I would say when we go to the abortion issue, I think you would agree with me, right? That uh-huh. as soon as a quote egg is fertilized, you have a human person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would. Okay, a conception, right? But I would say, but then the question would arise: Then are there sensations there? Yeah. No. So I think I'm not saying that uh, you don't have a human person if you have uh, don't have sensation. I think I'm saying there's no human person without the body. And one way of getting to this is that. You have to have your body to even have these uh, intellectual faculties going on. Like the, you're talking about the, the intellectual, uh, the uh, immaterial mind doing things and saying things and whatnot. I'm saying I don't think the immaterial mind is going to do anything without sensation. So I'm really just trying to say these are two of the same thing. So I'm not saying that uh, the form of a person is is what Aristotle would call the soul. And so that's going to exist whether you ever actualize your potential for um, intellectual thought or whether you ever actualize. So you could say the same thing here. So whether you ever actualize your potential for sensation, you have that potential as a human being. Uh, it just never gets actualized for whatever physical defect you might have as a human being. Um, I was just pointing out that sensation and intellection seem to me to go hand in hand, and that would suggest to me that what human beings essentially are are physical and perhaps non-physical if it turns out that the soul is immaterial um but anyway is that yeah am, well, I, am i trying to special plead there or does that make sense or uh it I, i'll i'll say this you're you're being a a good hylomorphist you know you're you're, you're sticking to that and, and i can appreciate that now so i'm not going to say quote your special pleading but if I can go as far as to say, I do think that position is special pleading to an extent. Um, because remember, when you say essential, and we're talking about metaphysics, something that's essential means that you cannot lack the thing in question and yet mm-hmm. still be what you were. So, and this is where usually the discussion always comes to when I talk to someone uh, from that from that uh, camp of a hylomorphic type position right. is that um, because first I, I would say I in a sense I would agree with you that yeah whenever human beings exist you're not going to find them when they when human beings come into the world at conception you're not going to find one without a body I, I agree there there's a lot of great overlap between uh, the version of substance dualism I hold to and a hylomorphic position. Um, but then you you get into questions like you know what are your thoughts on NDEs? What do you think about the intermediate state? I think both happen and are possible. So if NDEs happen uh, and if uh, there is an intermediate state, then technically speaking, that person ceases to exist, and yet their conscious is existing in some form in an intermediate state. Yeah. And on the position that you espouse then you would technically have to say that you go out of existence and some other temporarily replacement person that has your thoughts and memories still exists in a disembodied state somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but but of course that would all depend on your thoughts on NDEs and uh, uh, yeah, you know the intermediate any, So yeah, <laughs> don't know anything about NDEs, but it is a good point. You're right. Um, so let's get to that was the roundabout way getting back to the original question, which was. Uh, but this is great fun. I really appreciate it, Eric. Uh, yeah, I love by it. By the way, to the audience, I always forget to do this for 20 something minutes. Well, we're actually more than that because that timer is based on after we cut out for a little bit. So it's actually longer than that. Uh, I always forget to tell the audience you can ask questions in the live chat. Be sure to uh, tag Ad Help Me Believe. That way, when I'm scrolling through there, I can see that you're actually addressing me, not somebody else in the live chat. Um, please uh, uh, direct your questions to Eric. I don't want to answer any tough questions, so direct them towards Eric. He knows a lot. And uh, we'll I don't want to answer any questions either. So he's yeah. not taking questions tonight. No, he is. He's already got some in there because I was scrolling a second ago. But uh, we'll get to those near the end. Um, maybe as uh, I want to get to some other things, but as quickly as possible. Uh, what are some things that the you see that the immaterial mind does uh, that couldn't possibly be explained by uh, a physical process or something like that? Uh, I think everything, just about. Um, so. Now, when you say immaterial mind, uh, just to explain it in, in the way my position would understand that is you're basically saying, how does the soul do X via the mind? Because when we talk about faculties of the soul, the best way I, I know how to explain this is by the illustration of look at your body. If I said, you know, part of your body, you could say your tongue. Uh, what part of your body sees? Your eyeballs. So <clears throat> when I say your eyes see, I'm not saying. Your eyes somehow are come off your body and do something different, and your body and eyes are two different things. I'm saying your eyes being a extent or a part of your body, that's the way in which you do X, Y, and Z. Um, in the same way, the mind and the spirit are faculties of the soul that anything that falls under an intellectual conscious category is going to be via the faculty of the mind, just like anything that is visual is going to, all things being equal, come through the faculty of my eyeballs on my body, uh, so to speak. <clears throat> now, I, I'm not, so again, I, I think this would even relate to what we were just, you know, what I had just mentioned previously, NDEs and near, uh, um, the intermediate state. You know, if, if you were to die, God forbid, you and I were to die right now, I think we, we would still exist in an intermediate state disembodied. Are we still thinking? Yeah, we don't have a brain. Um, we're made in God's image. Uh, uh, and I think part of what that means is is uh, that a lot of our faculties that we have as persons is because he has those faculties as well. Um, in fact, what, what's funny is I, I, I use this point <clears throat> kind of as a way to get people thinking of the relevance and importance of something like this because – and you may disagree. I don't know, but um, again, it's one of those – talking points that I pull out whenever I'm, I'm teaching on this subject, especially to people who either don't think it's important or don't care or whatever, but they're there for Sunday morning service and I'm the preacher, so they have to listen. Uh, I'll say something like, do you need a brain to think? And usually people say yes. And I say, okay. I said, so you can't think without a brain? Yes. Okay. Your brain thinks yes. Or, or I'll say, I'll say, point to what part of your body thinks. Sorry, that's what I say. And they usually people do this. And I said, okay, your brain. I, and then I basically, I, after I asking a, a joke, couple more but questions. I better not. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, please, go for it. No, I'm not. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot me a text later, I guess. Um, and I say, okay, so your brain, your brain's a part of your body thinks. And then I say, uh, does God have a brain? And people kind of get quiet. And I say, well, the answer is no. We're not Mormons, right? God doesn't have a body. And then and I say, well, wait a minute. 
but does God think? Yes, of course he does. The Bible says his thoughts are towards us are more than the grains of sand. So how is it that God can think without a brain just fine, but we need brains to think? Now, now it at least gets people thinking, whether you agree with it or not, at least gets people thinking. And I go to the point that you know sometimes we don't take these things seriously to the point where we allow some type of a naturalistic perspective where we reduce things to merely something physical. And, you know, we claim that we can't, that, that, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but, you know, sometimes, you know, we bite into the fact that we're just brain and body and we can't think without a brain. And it's our brain that thinks, not our soul. And we go to a, a church service and we worship a God that has no brain and yet thinks just fine. And we're made in his image. And we never at least let these two thoughts come together and wrestle with him. Um, so I, I think now, that's not to say that there's not a correlation. I think there's a very deep integration and correlation. <clears throat> when you look at things like neuroplasticity and cognitive behavioral therapy, I think that is a perfect illustration of how the image is going to uh, act on the material brain. Um, because usually people point to just when you get brain damage, it affects consciousness. Absolutely. It's rarely ever talked about that the opposite happens as well. When you think differently, you can change, literally change the chemistry and, and uh, uh, neur neural connections in your brain. Um, Jeffrey Schwartz, who's uh, now a believer, wasn't a believer at first, who's a, one of, a leading neuroscientist in the world who actually believes in the soul and, and, and integrates that into his neuroscience and is one of the leading researchers in cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and if you're not familiar with that, you know, I encourage you to look it up because uh, I don't, I don't want to take too much time. I'll let you run and go wherever you want to with it. But thinking differently, you can actually change the chemistry that's in your brain, which is very helpful with for people who have who struggle with things like anxiety, depression and OCD and things of that nature. Yeah. So another reason and uh, one of your statements there uh, naturally brings it up. First of all, I, re I remember to say and we're not we don't have to go into it because I actually want to get to some other things. But I would actually deny that uh, God is a person, or that God, um, obviously, there's the the Trinity. That's a whole other subject, but uh, because of you specifically mentioned it. But whenever you were saying God thinks and things like that, it made me think of that. And I think that God has knowledge and thinks as well, but in a totally different way than we do because he's not a person. But that just comes down to one of those essential things that we would have to discuss. Uh, what I wanted to, to bring up really was— um, Do you mean he's not a human— is that what you mean? Because yeah, because I would define person as something embodied. Yeah, um, but that comes back all the way back to what we were talking about. Yeah, so you see the distinction of human and person. Because so I'm saying he's a person, but not human. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I think know, it would so. probably would just be a definitional thing. Um, you might be defining person as something. I don't know, but uh, how would you how would you define person? Um, d very, very good question. So there, there are certain, like I said, it's a genus-species relation. Um, and, and classically, throughout, uh, if I'm not mistaken, throughout church history, God has been conceived as a person, it, something that is personal. And I know that that doesn't help okay, too much. Okay, well, I would agree with that. But I was going to say, actually, I, I would be on the classical theist side of things. And um, this, and the classical theists often critique William Lane Craig. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess J.P. Moreland on being theological personalists is what they'll call them. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's not what I'm, I'm appealing to because I think even classical theists would, would, would say that God's, God's personal. personal. He's uh, the most personal yeah, sure. being that exists. Yeah. Right, right. So, so then, then I, I think at minimum we could say that that's at least for, for the sake of time and yeah. conversation that you, you can't be personal without being a person. I'll put it that way. 
It depends. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I, I see what you mean. Uh, and I agree for the most part, I think. Um, but what was interesting to me is talking about the correlation between the brain and the mind. And I, I actually asked you this question at a conference that uh, I went down there uh, with you guys. And uh, the question was, if, if there is a positive correlation between the brain and the mind, shouldn't the natural conclusion be that so goes the brain, so goes the mind, so if the, or vice versa, so that if the brain dies, um, shouldn't we conclude that the mind or the soul also dies? Yeah, I don't see why that would be the case um, because someone would first have to make a case that the two are are necessarily coexistent. Um, but I think, but but I don't I don't see why that would be the case. Um, the illustration well, I like to give. Uh, sure. Sorry, if you really don't understand it, let me try it again. Uh, I think there's a positive correlation, and so you were mentioning you can poke and prod the brain; it's going to have a, an effect on the mind. You know, if you hurt the brain, you're hurting the mind. Um, whereas if you heal the brain, you're healing the mind or, or something like that. And so there's a one-to-one -one ratio. There's a positive correlation. They, they go hand-in-hand. -hand. And it seemed to me that you were actually agreeing with that. And my first thought was, well, if that's the case, then so goes the brain, so goes the mind. And that would be the same in death as well. So yeah, maybe, so, that, maybe um, that's more clear. Yeah, go ahead. <coughs> Well, well, I no, I, I understood that part. What I was saying is, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying I don't see why, or I wasn't saying like I, I don't, I don't get your what you're saying. I'm, I'm saying okay. I don't see why what you're saying would have to necessarily be true, um, because yes, there's a correlation, and it's a two-way correlation. The mind, the brain can affect the mind, and right. the mind can affect the brain, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that even goes into an argument for free will. What I'm saying is, I don't see why, based on that, therefore. We must conclude that necessarily the mind and brain are are essentially coexistent to where you cannot have one without the other, um, or at least the mind without the brain. Um, <clears throat> to try to give a, a simple illustration analogy, and you know, of course, these things only go so far, but just for the sake of making the point that just because there's a correlation, I don't think it therefore follows there's a necessary coexistence. Um, if I if I if I'm listening to the radio, my radio is able to pick up the, the wave signals, and as I adjust the knob and the, the antenna, it's going to affect the way I'm receiving the signal. I can destroy the radio, but I don't think it would make sense to say and when goes the radio, so goes the radio signal. Well, no, the signal's still there. You just can't access or pick it up. So I think, in other words, that would be my brief way of at least showing that I don't see why just because we know there's a correlation, absolutely a two-way correlation, it doesn't follow that. Therefore, that also entails a necessary coexistence. Okay. So with the analogy that you gave, I think the radio signal still exists because there's some transmitter somewhere giving it off. But if you were to destroy that transmitter, the radio signal would go. And so I think a better analogy would be... Uh, the radio playing music so as soon as the the radio goes the music's gonna stop and so i agree that there's there are two different things They're can i push back because that yep go ahead uh and, and um <laughs> no and i laugh because yeah it, you know like i said that's why i kind of preface by saying you know illustrations only oh only yeah goes i was gonna so say I, I meant to say that too so <clears throat> But no, but but what you said actually made me think of something else. <laughs> so, uh, uh, 
I, I love this. This is fun. Yeah, so let's say that, that that antenna tower that you're mentioning, uh-huh. let's call that God, and he sustains us in existence. Uh-huh. So then that kind of fixes even that problem, I would say, as long as God sustains you in existence, uh, which is a case for anything and everything that exists, you know, I'm sure you would agree there, mm-hmm. then even if, quote, the, the, the radio is destroyed, that antenna tower being God is still sustaining me in existence. And, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't be quote annihilated out of existence just because you uh, uh, just because the radio is destroyed as long as that bad boy antenna is keeping me there as long as god keeps me in existence i don't see why that couldn't be the case mm-hmm. okay so i was trying to move the analogy i get i get exactly what you're saying and uh, at least in principle want to agree with it the reason i don't is to use the analogy we were just using there's there's a few things in plus there's the transmitter which is god and it's giving off the radio signal, which is entering the radio and then causing, let's say, music to play. Well, in this question, the in this analogy, I don't take the signal coming from the transmitter to be either the soul or the body. I take the radio to be the body and the music being played by the radio to be the soul. And that's not to say that that's the relationship. Um, that's not to say that the body causes the soul. Uh, even though that analogy made it sound that way. But I think those are the two things that we're trying to explain, not not the signal coming from the transmitter. Unless you take the signal coming from the transmitter to be analogous <coughs> to the soul. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, first of all, these, this is great conversation because you know, I, I, I do have – I, I do talk about the soul a lot with people, so it's great to still talk about the soul, but from a, a, a different angle that I don't get to talk about too much. Right, from a, um, from a fellow Christian, yeah. <laughs> well, even then, you know, yeah, uh, in the, in this way, it's great. Um, <clears throat> so this gets into, again, because this all relates in some sense back to just your foundation and basis of your views metaphysically, this also goes into something like the question of whether or not universals exist. But I would say something like, um, in principle, let, let, let's, let's, okay, talking about the, the um, the music being played, let's say, through the radio mm-hmm. or, or whatnot. Uh, let's say uh, on my iPod or my phone, I have music playing. I can destroy my iPod, but I wouldn't say that my music is destroyed. I would say my iPod is destroyed. Um, so still there's a distinction there, and even if one may need the other to be actualized, at least in this world, I don't see how that destroys, quote, the music. Uh, um, and I, I would say, going back to the implications – if when the brain goes, the mind goes, then you're gonna, it's gonna get you in some real sticky situations to where you're gonna say that you're in some sense, without even mentioning hell, you're an annihilationist because when your brain goes, you cease to exist. Oh, you're, you're right, I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, well, I mean, like in a double sense, then, if, if you're annihilation, because you, you're annihilated when you die physically, uh-huh. and then you're yeah. resurrected, and then you're annihilated twice so you don't just get the second death you get the third death as well wait why three i get the second one (laughs) i get the second one (laughs) okay so 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 you know so you die physically uh, there's natural death uh god resurrects you to be judged Uh, that would be the second death what's the third one so i okay so this also goes into a, a type of substance dualism which i would consider your position still a type of substance dualism but you have a physical death but then simultaneously your soul is also dying as well 
So I would say two things are dying there. Now, this also gets into, oh, again... the substance dualism, I see how that would follow. Yeah. Well, well right, but that's why I said I think you still hold to a version of substance right. dualism yeah. because yeah. you're not just a body. Right. And you would also say that I'm... But I'm also not no. just a soul. Yeah, right? no, I would say it's... I would say we're speaking of these things kind of analogously here. I don't uh, mean they're literally separate ontological things. I think there's one thing called a human person. That's that's the essence is the is the human. Or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. No, I, and I understand. You know, that's that's like I said, the, the holomorphic. I'm. I I guess I could say it this way, um, and not not in not not in a an attacking way, but just as no, an observational way. I would say that you would have to beg the question, and admittedly, in a sense, I I would have to also without you know unpacking it, but basically. If you're going to say that you cease to exist when you die, then you're going to have to – it's going to beg the question that when your body goes, so do you. Um, but if you're not just a body, then it is possible – and again, it's going to depend on your view of the intermediate state – then it's possible for your body to cease to exist and yet your soul still exists. But if you're going to say – so that's why and, – and like you said, yeah, it makes sense on my version of a substance dualist view that, quote, three deaths. But, three deaths uh, or even four maybe, <clears throat> but yeah. Uh, so uh, – Can I give an argument he, there to see what you think on – on? it's an argument for the soul that I use, but I'm, I'm curious to how you how you think if it will fit in your, your view. How your argument for the soul fits into the hylomorphic view? Well, the hylomorphic well, view – No, is, I was going to – so, I'm sorry. There might be a little bit of lag. I apologize. Um, now I was going to say that that another argument I use for the soul is the indivisibility of personhood. Oh, and again, okay. it's yeah. it's an argument to show that I back to the being divided kind of thing. Um, identity through change actually is is what I meant to say. But that one, the one I mentioned, also applies. <clears throat> so it's alleged that every seven to ten years, you change virtually every cell in your body. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, you've heard my argument. You're there at the talk that I gave when I talked about the soul at the conference. So, so, so you, if, if you are essentially a brain, I mean, essentially a soul and body, I would argue that there might be a way out of this, but I would argue that you're going to have to then say then there's always someone new coming into existence because you have the body you had at five years old isn't the body you have now. If there's an, a continuity of identity throughout that change of part replacement, then you must be more than a brain and body. But if you are essentially more than a brain and body and a soul, but if you are essentially a brain, body, and soul, or let's just say body and soul, then whenever you change that body, I would argue that it would seem as if then you're gonna then then one person ceases to exist and a new person comes to be that just looks just like you and has your same thoughts and memories. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I see what you're saying. Um, so, okay. Because I, I use that argument. Because I was thinking about which way to go here. I got two different ways to go here is what I'm trying to think. Um, one was to say that, well, the soul changes as well. And I don't know why this wouldn't be a problem, vice versa. But uh, even in if, but at no, what I was going to say is at no point are you, not physical even though the physicalness is changing you're still it's not like i'm physical right now and then all of a sudden i have no matter um, the matter may be changing but i still have matter 
And so it doesn't seem to me that that would be any kind of a problem because at no point do I not have matter or do, am I not physical. So I get that it's all changing. And perhaps the and, and the soul is. The soul is that which does not change through time. On the hyomorphic view, as I understand it, I could be wrong. But that is. So this is the question of uh, the one and the many. You know, because it all comes back to that for some reason in philosophy. But so the thing that changes through the thing that changes is the matter, and the thing that doesn't is the immaterial intellect or the immaterial soul of that. Or, of course, I would wrap the intellect and sensation both into the soul. Um, but at no point, and the reason I don't think it, it is an objection to that view is because at no point is there, is there no physicalness. There's always something physical there. And so does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, no, it, it does. Um, and, and so when, when I use the argument, which, which I, you know, I didn't unpack, but I, I know you're following me here, but I'm just saying that for the listeners. Um, <coughs> it, I, I use it against a naturalist, physicalist saying that if you're going to reduce the self to just the brain and body, which you don't, um, then you're going to have to say a new person comes to be. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah, that would There's, that would work if you were denying that we have anything like an immaterial <laughs> intellect or something like that. Well, and, and the point I was getting at, because if you recall the argument, I know it was like last year sometime, so I won't be offended if, if you didn't. Um, but ba basically, that, like, if I committed a crime seven and ten years ago, but they just now find the evidence. Can they still arrest me? Because what if I said, well, timeout officer, don't you know that we change virtually every cell in our body every seven to 10 years? You, you can't arrest me. That was some other guy. Go find him. But good luck. He doesn't exist. And they're going to laugh. And Jay Warner Wallace is going to have to arrest me, right? Um, but, be, but if we do maintain identity through change, then we're more than a brain and body, you know, I would argue the stole. But what I'm saying is I'm wondering if, if – and just an honest, genuine inquiry here – would you would someone on your position be able to use that argument? And part of me wants to say no because when you say that a person is essentially a soul and a body, then I guess two questions would be: Well, then, you know, what do you do with the problem of someone accusing you of saying, "Well, then you're constantly becoming a new well, not you, a person is constantly going out of existence and then coming into existence." And I would say, what part of your body is the, quote, essential aspect? Is it as long as there's 20% matter? Um, as long, you know, if, you know, oh, at okay, what I point, see. yeah, how much of your body is necessary for that essential being a human person? Okay, so I think uh, the difference here in just uh, the conundrum that you've set up and, uh, and the way that I would deal with it, potentially, we'll see how it goes, is to say, I see what you're saying. If I was saying that I am essentially this piece of matter, then I can see how that would... Sorry, I got stuff popping up on my screen. I'm trying to fix crap over here on my Mac. Uh, if I was saying that I'm essentially this piece of matter, and then this piece of matter went out of existence and a different one took its place, then it'd be like, ah, now I'm a new thing. Or uh, now I'm essentially this piece of matter instead of that other one I was talking about a second ago, and now I'm like special pleading. Or, or I keep saying special pleading, like, sorry, I guess that's my new catchphrase. But now I'm just making exceptions and things like that. Um, but I'm not saying that, I don't think. What I'm saying is just that I'm essentially physical. It, I, I'm always going to be physical, whether it's this piece of physical matter or another one that comes into being like you're talking about. I'm just always going to be physical. I can't conceive of me not being physical. So I think Physical and, and spiritual, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm perfectly content. 
Uh, I do wonder about the art, like the arguments that you give. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't have objections to them, um, but I am just curious uh, with neuroscience and things like that. I wonder. I don't want to set myself up, um, and I'm not saying you're doing this, Eric, uh, and you know that, but I'm saying I don't want to set myself up in this dogmatically. Uh, and then something, say, scientifically comes out because I don't have a problem with the alternative. And you probably don't either. I'm sure you just want to know what's true and you really think this is true. I assume, I assume that. Um, and, but my thinking is, let's say it did turn out that we're only physical things. Uh, I, that wouldn't bother me one iota because I think our final destination as Christians is going to be a physical state. Uh, God's going to resurrect our physical bodies just like he did Jesus's. And so if it turns out, I mean, I see the philosophical problems with uh, reducing everything to atoms, reducing everything to material. And that's why I'm happy to put myself in a camp like homomorphism. Um, but if it turned out that I was wrong, I, it wouldn't bother me one bit. Would it bother yeah. you? <clears throat> um, <laughs> yes, in a nutshell, yes. I, I would argue, and, and, and I know there's, there's different positions on this, and, and I appreciate, you know, the, I'm loving this conversation. Um, so I think... Doing something like that gets into some of the things I already mentioned, like identity through change. Um, in order for there to be genuine change, there has to be something that underlines the change and remains the same throughout part replacement. And I would argue that would have to be the soul because the body is not doesn't have that continuity. Um, so I don't even where do I want to go? So I, I think, in other words. I think that if we're just physical, a lot of problems pop up. One being that we're already talking about is that once you die, then you're, you're gone, and the person God resurrects isn't you. It's a lookalike. It's a clone, if you will. Um, and then we even go into metaphysics of can something come into existence twice? I don't think so. Uh, I know I've heard Moreland say he doesn't think so, but you had a beginning. But if what you're saying is true, you're going to have an end and then begin again. Well, then which one of those was your beginning? Um, and the, the, I'm not using that necessarily as an argument, maybe as, as this might be a problem for that position. So I, I don't think there's continuity of identity. I, I think you lose free will if there's not something that is just more than physical. Um, I, I I, I argue that, you know, as, as you, you know, that consciousness is not physical. So, uh, and again, these could fit well on the hylomorphic position, at least the fact that there is something immaterial more than the physical. The, the problem I, I think we, we separate is what happens in that intermediate state, your identity change. Who is going to be resurrected? Um, because if I made a clone of you, you're obviously two different ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like that's that's what's happening in my mind. I know I'm simplifying it, admittedly, um, because it's a lot more technical than that. But yeah, it, it seems like doing something like that, it's not you being resurrected. It's a lookalike you being yeah. resurrected. Yeah. So the good thing about being the host of the podcast is that you don't have to answer questions if you don't want to. You can just switch to a completely different subject, which is what I'm going to do now. So gotcha. Uh, now, do you have any, uh, concluding, I'm going to go to the, I, I'm going to go to the live Q and A and try to get some questions from the audience. Uh, do you have any concluding remarks on the soul or anything you wanted to say that I didn't ask you or you didn't <coughs> have the opportunity to say? Um, I, uh, not necessarily. I, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, it was, 
expect anything different. Um, uh, but you know, with, with, when this whole pandemic hit, uh, everybody's been doing online stuff more, and, and uh, most of the time I'll talk about the soul with somebody. But you know, I don't think I've yet gone to this this aspect of the soul. There's so many different uh, way it relates. But um, we, we, as always, we know we're just scratching the surface here. But but no, I, I appreciate that. I what what I really appreciate about you is that you you ask probing questions, and I love that because I think that's what makes a conversation interview good uh it gets the person even when there's especially when there's court disagreement you know you didn't talk about my testicles like scholar did or anything but uh, oh God, uh <laughs> no not yet anyway i mean we're not done yet we're not <laughs> that's true that's true uh but yeah no and, and these are um and of course the, the i think the soul in my view is one of the most central issues um, i'd argue there is no soul there can be no resurrection um i think christ's example was the first fruits and we know there was an intermediate state there. Now you could say, oh, but it's Jesus, it's different. Well, I'd say, but it could only be so different because if it's, it, you know, it, it has to be in some sense relatable to us if that was the first fruits of what we're supposed to have an experience. Um, so so, anyways, um, yeah, I, there, there's a lot more to be said, I'll put it that way, uh, oh, that we yeah. haven't yeah. You know, touched yeah. on. But I, I think if, when we look at Christ, uh, when we look at the intermediate state, uh, when you ask the question, can a person exist without a body, and then probe further into, well, what part of the body is essential? If I miss a finger, am I still good? Yeah, you're still good with the finger. Okay, at what point am I ceasing to exist kind of thing? Um, but, yeah, the, the, those would be areas that I would touch on when it gets into I would hold to my version of a substance dualism. And I would just say, and I haven't even finished reading this thing because I, I, I go through chapters. I reread chapters quite a bit, uh, but yeah, the, uh, the hylomorphic position is talked about in here. Emergentism. You have some some of the brightest minds in the world, you know, on this book, uh, and that would go into the different types of views of the soul, like substance dualism, hylomorphism, and people can yeah. check that out. It, it is it's Blackwell, you know, so it's it's going to be scholarly. It's going to be a lot of technical words, but you know, hey, life's short, you know, why not jump in? Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. I'm going to get to questions in here. And uh, to the audience, I'm uh, I'm not agnostic on the topic of the soul and things like that. I'm happy to call myself a hylomorphism. Hylom I don't know what the, the correct term there was for a person who holds to hylomorphism. A hylomorphist. That's, I'm fine with that. I don't really care. Um, but, uh, I don't actually know. I'm just probing questions is my way of, of this. Uh, listen. Um, I did get a haircut, and I uh, probably am the only person in America that's got a... No, I'm not. Um, but I haven't stopped getting haircuts, I'll be honest. And my person keeps cutting hairs. I don't know what... I'm not going to not go to her. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just going to cut my own hair at home. I'm not leaving the house, breaking any rules or anything like that. Cut my own hair. I'm just this good at it. Um, but, I mean, really? all the business... No, I'm just kidding. All the businesses no. here have reopened where I live, so I'm not actually breaking any rules or anything like that they may i've heard that they may close them down again uh, i live in uh, in texas i think you you do too eric you live like right down the street from me i forgot yeah uh, i'm looking at my window actually <laughs> he's not that he's not that close but he is like less than an hour i want to say uh, um let's scroll through here question how do we know that the soul is ontologically prior to the body in parentheses i think i heard that correctly and i think that was correct i think that's what you were saying so how do you know that so, like this conversation, lots of metaphysics, metaphysics we get into. Um, when you talk about 
So, first, I guess, a water. Water. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's after the show. Um, the other, the other harder stuff. Uh, so when the, the way I find a soul is an immaterial substance that can be consciousness and is a thing that animates and gives rise or formation to the body. Uh, now the key word there is substance and what is a substance? Then you get into what it means to be a substance and you can contrast that with an aggregate. <clears throat> now an aggregate would be a collection of separable parts held together in a certain structure. If you want the bigger $5 word, it's mariological aggregate and mariological aggregates are things like cars, watches, and Lego brick. They are a collection of separable parts held together in a certain structure. Um, now let's contrast the difference between the nature of a substance and aggregate. How do we know if something's a substance as opposed to a mere collection of parts uh, in the way I described? Well, uh, uh, by finding out which comes first, we require the part of the whole relationship. So here, here's a way of thinking of it. If I take a tire off of a car, it rem its existence and identity as a tire is not affected when it's disconnected from the car, which immediately tells us, metaphysically speaking, that the existence and identity of a tire is not necessarily ontologically dependent on connection to the car. If anything, you have the car as a whole that is necessarily dependent on its existence and identity and even structure of its parts. So with aggregates, you have the parts which have their existence and identity ontologically prior to the whole. With substances, it's different. How so? <clears throat> um, if you were to cut my arm, my hand off, uh, then What's going to happen is it's going to cease to exist and lose its identity. And how do we know that? Because within a few days, it's going to start deteriorating and it's going to cease to exist. That would tell us that my, the parts like my hand, is its existence identity is ontologically grounded in its connection to the whole, which means here's an example of where you have a whole prior to the parts as opposed to an aggregate where the parts are prior to the whole. So for substances, um, again, like when, a, when a pup is born, its eyes aren't fully developed, uh, uh, its ears aren't fully developed, and yet you still have a dog. And if you, if you, God forbid, it lose a tail or anything like that, or has an arm, I'm still a human person, shows that I am a whole that is ontologically prior to my parts. Again, when you contrast that, we're aggregate, the same thing. When you take a wheel off of a tricycle then that tricycle ceases to exist and a bicycle comes into existence, which again shows that for aggregates, its existence and identity is ontologically grounded and dependent on its parts, whereas substances, you have the whole ontologically prior to its parts. Okay. And the body would be the parts in, in that sense that are separable parts. There are separable and separable parts. Yeah. So that, that's, that's one way we can know how that's the case. Uh, I think you kind of answered this there at the end of our uh, original di uh, questioning and answering, but uh, Doug from Pine Creek asks, what good is it if you gain theism but lose your soul? An example, how does this relate to Christianity? Dougie Fresh, my man. Good, good, good hearing from you. Uh, uh, so, so the question, yeah, you're right. Does, it, is uh, the soul just have to do with theism, or does it have any, what, what is the relationship to uh, specifically christianity 
I think she might have asked this prior to the end of our discussion, but I would argue if there's no soul, there's no resurrection. And this is something that when I debated Dillahanty, um, about a week before the debate, the soul, the atheist experience came and said that himself. So, you know, um, I, I appreciated that he understood the relevance of that. I'd like you to look understand at, this because I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I don't quite understand what you were getting at, but go ahead. Well, that, that if there's no soul, I would argue you can't have identity through change. Um, and if there's no identity then you're not resurrected. A clone of you is resurrected. Well, what do I care what happens to that clone if I'm not, you know, uh, if it's not me? Um, so for you, in other words, happy underlines the change. You don't have the same body you did when you were five. You have a different, arguably an entirely different body. Well, the same would apply at the resurrection. If you're still the same person, then there must be something more than the body that is grounding, underlying that change that keeps and maintains and grounds that identity change. I would say it have to be a soul. So if there's no soul, I would argue there can be no resurrection of you. It's just God recreating someone else. So like if God were to just destroy you now and wipe you out of existence, alike, I don't think it would be fair to say that he has recreated you. He's just recreated a lookalike of you. Uh, I, and I would argue if there's no soul, then you don't have resurrection. You have a look like recreation. So I think it's very important to Christianity and central to that. And I, I think it's, at least in my mind, it's obvious the implications that it would have towards theism. And I would even say it's, and I've used it as an argument against atheism. And if you don't like me saying it that way, the argument there is no God. I would argue there is no God. Then the most logical consist, consistent position is that physicalism is true. But using modus tollens, if, if there's no God, X would be true. X is not true. Therefore, there is a God, um, or atheism is false, basically. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, it, I think it has implications and relevance all around. Very good. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that because I don't have time to really concentrate on what you're saying and then uh, respond in, in like because I gotta, I'm trying to read these comments at the same time. But uh, uh, this one's actually for me, uh, but this is my, my friend Jonathan Depew asks, uh, if God doesn't have a body— um, then how do we affirm that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, lest we make an unwarranted separation between the Son and Jesus himself? And I think this, and I was just, I happened to see the preceding comments that they were talking uh, about me denying that God's a person. So I think that's the context in which the question was arising. Um, I would say that the, the classical position on this is to say that God is not a person because he is wholly other than we are. God is holy, and that H-O-L-Y, meaning he's completely different and separate than we are. He's not, it's not as if there's this category called persons and underneath it are God and human beings over here. I would say that we're not the same thing, only different in, uh, can't think of the word I'm trying to think of here, but uh, in, not different in degree. We're different in kind. We're totally different. God is totally different than we are. He's, he's completely other than we are. I don't think that collapses knowledge of God. I think we can still know God exists and things like that. But essentially what God is, I don't think we could really even possibly 100% uh, grasp what it is. Um, what he is, like his ontological status. I don't think we could really grasp our minds around that. Because we don't know, I don't think we can fully grasp what a being that has never not existed and never won't exist and his immaterial and all this, I don't think that we could possibly grasp completely what that is with our finite minds. And so I'm, I really just want to, in some sense, want to protect the holiness of God 
and say that he's not a person because that that term applies to us and so it can only apply to both of us in some kind of analogous way not in any not in a univocal way he's not literally a person he couldn't be because then we'd both be under the same category as persons and i don't think god belongs under the same category as us at all i think he's completely other so that's my uh maybe this fits with what eric and, and other other christians want to say too um but i'm just saying that that's my initial drawback from it as well i don't think god's a person because we're persons um as as far as the trinity goes i think that the orthodox belief has always been of course i'm using the word orthodox there but i think the orthodox belief has always been that jesus uh was incarnated that he became flesh and so i think it's perfectly fine in saying he wasn't prior to that he wasn't flesh maybe you want to say that i don't have anything against that um but i don't think that god essentially is a body uh, a material i don't think god is essentially material and that's a pretty standard belief um there's been how that works out with the incarnation has been talked about for the last 2000 years but the assumption has always been the reason that this conversation about the trinity or about the incarnation even happens is because we know that god is not essentially physical so how could it be that he became physical in the, in jesus so i think the son pre-exists and exists in a state that is not physical and then he became flesh in jesus in the body um, eric do you want to say anything about that um well, uh, i'd say you know we obviously disagree on the take a classic that classical view um so there'll be a lot of disagreements there um so he i mean just, he just that, texted me and said i'm gonna press you on this after the interview <laughs> sorry go ahead <laughs> i mean i have a spit fidgets in my hand because uh, i'll start on the pen uh, my medicine has worn off around this time of day um <clears throat> yeah so i mean yeah i, I would just say you know, that I, there's i have a lot of disagreements I, don't, I almost completely disagree with the classical position, but I, I think, um, you know, that there I can appreciate the sentiment of of everything you're saying there. And I did a discussion; uh, it's on my YouTube channel. I forget how long ago, but we I did quote have a discussion argument, whatever you call it, with another believer um, on this classical theistic position of God with respect to Molinism, and I would just encourage you to go check that out, um, where we talk about what you, the view of God you're arguing, and then how that how Molinism would relate to it, because he thought that was an argument or point against Molinism, but yeah, it's, yeah, just leave it at that. Let me see. You're the host, okay. for show. Yeah, now you're fine. Uh, what is Eric's view of hell, eternal conscious torment, uh, death of the soul, uh, what's your view of hell? Um, yeah, I, I, I reject annihilationism. Um, I, <clears throat> I admittedly have not studied or taken the time to study as much as I'd like to, um, to, to, to get on that sometime in the near future. Uh, with that caveat being said, uh, I think that a lot hinges on substance dualism. In my opinion, I, I did talk to Chris Date one time. Uh, if he's listening or check this out, or shout out to Chris. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's a funny story. I was at ETS, and he's like, "Hey, just meet me at this this restaurant. I'm gonna meet with some people that need me to eat." Uh, and I'm like, "Cool, yeah, I haven't eaten yet. I'll just you know grab some food there prior to your meeting with these people who want to meet you." 
uh, he didn't he didn't, know, he didn't know what the restaurant was, so we both get there, and I look at the menu, and these things are like $17 for a drink and like $50, $100 million for like one French fry. It was a nice restaurant, very nice, but I was like, geez, Chris, you're going to break my bank here today. Uh, but um, yeah, we, we got to talking, and, and, and I think Chris is a very sharp guy, very sharp, loves the Lord. We disagree on a lot of things, but we I can honestly say we both love the Lord and are trying to uh, serve him and and follow what we find is biblically accurate. With that, with that being said, yeah, I reject uh, annihilationist position. I think some of the arguments for annihilationism, in my opinion, hinges on a lot of implications of substance dualism. Um, I can go into why I think that if you want. Like I said, I've talked a little bit with okay. Chris, but again, I, I haven't studied it enough to where like it's not something i'm going to debate anytime soon not because i don't have a view on it it's just because i haven't from what i've seen that's what i can tell so far we, um, we all hold views that you know like you said we wouldn't be ready to go debate in five minutes or whatever you said at the at the outset of this interview so yeah uh let's see it's not really any more questions here's one if jesus is not bound by time does it make sense there was a time before he was physical uh nope only in an analogous sense on the, or perhaps you're equivocating on the word time, but I think it's just an analogous sense of the word time. Maybe you used the and word th that's, state or something. That's where we, we, we would disagree because going to the, and I don't know how much your listeners are familiar with uh, the, the classical position uh, um, versus like a non-classical position. So yeah, I, I think God's in time. I see nothing wrong with God being in time. Oh God, um, yeah, I would definitely deny that. I don't uh, think you're a heretic, well, uh, but yeah, I would definitely strongly deny that. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, uh, I'll ask this: if you pray to God for an hour and He listens to you for an hour, how long was God listening? He's been listening since all eternity. That's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, not not that I don't want to get into it, but you know, I, I just think you know it. I'll refer to Craig, you know, stuff that Willem and Craig has said on it about like, um, you know, when he created the time, he kind of it, it, by uh, default, so you, you know, jumped little in. things like that, that I, I perfectly understand. It, um, it's difficult to understand. Um, and then I could say to Craig, who wants to say um, this being was initially changeless. I, I, I can't even wrap my mind around how something could be initially changeless and then suddenly it is changeable. Well, that so this is where just, to me that's just like what it they could not possibly be both, but th this is where and and hopefully I'm not taking the gloves off here, but this is where I I disagree strongly with a lot of the, the classical position. I I think there's and and, and admittedly I, I say this of, of of other doctors that like with Calvinists who I disagree with. I'd say some of it seems to be based on bad metaphysics or a misunderstanding of metaphysics. And of course the same could be said towards me and I don't mind and we can fight afterwards or whatever, but uh, th there's a difference between uh, intrinsic change and, and um, extrinsic change and potential change. And there's changes between relations. So, mm -hmm. you know, nothing about my essential nature is going to change, but there could be contingent accidental changes. And you know what I mean when I say like uh, it basically contingent changes. So, you know, prior to, so I, I wasn't a father until obviously I had a kid. Well, there was a change. We can call it a change, but it wasn't, it wasn't as if something intrinsically changed that affected my nature. The only reason that change was possible because I had it in my nature in the first place. So I like to ask questions to people who hold your position. I, I like to ask this question. I 
curious of what what you say. Uh, was God a, a creator prior to creating? Yes. So God is. Uh, yeah. The answer is yes. That's the classical theist position. He's always creating. The effect of material reality is obviously going to be um, tensed or time, however you want to say that. Um, there was a beginning, um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't see how it's an objection. He's always existed, well, and he's always been an act because he has no potentials, like you were saying. Or as Craig's saying, he's initially changeless. I would just say, yeah, he has no potency. He has no potentials. He's always, because he's pure act. And so for me, and I think the classical theist position, I may not represent the classical theist position very well, but I think the classical theist position is that since God is pure act or act is purest, as Thomas Aquinas says, then that's all, all that's required in order to affect a change, like you're talking about the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic. All that's required to cause something is to be an act. And God's always been an act. He is pure act. And so that's all that's required in order for him to be able to cause the universe to exist but analogously speaking analogously speaking yeah. no, wait, wait, I mean, what's I mean, the word literally yeah act yeah yeah i mean it's yeah and i'll just leave it at that you know it's just uh the the aristotelian uh, aquinas type of metaphysics that i that i disagree with but yeah i i i don't think it affects anything to say that that god was not a creator until he created, but that was always within his nature to be a creator. Um, I think there's e extrinsic changes of relations. So we can say that God is the God of 1 million people and a baby was just born and now he's a God of 1 million and one people. Um, and I don't see anything wrong with that because it's not a change in his nature, a holiness. It's, it's those contingent horizontal type changes that I don't think affect oh, yeah. that doctrine of immutability. I agree with what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I, I got you. I no, I agree with what you're saying. I I think it's just actually irrelevant. But I'm not going to push back on you because we've run out of time, um, or we've been going on for a while, and I don't want to keep you all night. But uh, and like I said, when you're the host, you don't have to defend your position. You can just switch real <laughs> quick. It's it's kind of the beauty. Of, no, I'm just kidding. I uh, really appreciate it, Eric. It's always fun talking to you, and uh, really like what you're doing, especially your response videos. Please make more of those. <laughs> I know they take a lot of time. Thank you. But uh, those are the best. Uh, yeah, so by the way, to the audience, uh, Eric's uh, links, his YouTube uh, channel and, and his website are in the description. Go check him out to hear more for, uh, about him and his ministry. He does debates. He gives talks and these sort of things, so he's fun to keep up with. Um, and he's a nice guy. I've enjoyed uh, having him as a friend now. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to come to more apologetic conferences around the Texas area in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this was uh, a lot of fun, Eric. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to watch the bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Eric Hernandez, just follow the Patreon link in the description below and head on over to, again, our Patreon page to become a, a monthly supporter of the show, uh, the ministry that I got going on here. Like I said, there's merch, the bonus segment, different uh, bonus material that you can get by becoming a patron. So go head on over there and become a supporter. Eric, thank you so much, sir. Uh, thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I'll say definitely encourage those people to, to, to go join because these next five minutes we're just going to fight and you're going to want to see that. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going to happen. You don't want to miss it. Heard it here first. <laughs>